welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Colby. I'm the lead pastor. And we want to start a church in Kelowna for people who aren't inside the walls of the church, people who are burned out in religion, people who are tired of moralism, people who, um, who are searching for answers. And so we want to build a church that's all about Jesus. We want to build a church that makes Jesus known in Kelowna. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And we're doing a series on the book of 1 Peter. And so it's all about suffering and brokenness. And today I want to talk about this idea of, of a struggle. You know, a real struggle kind of comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Like, a, think about the struggles in your life, the face, things that you face. A struggle comes out of, out of nowhere. You know, no one expected us to be in a pandemic. No one expected us um, to be homeschooling our kids. Nobody expected the strain on our marriage. Nobody expected um, us to have an issue with our bank balance. No one expected us to be out of work. And no one expected to actually be, to come to university with no prospect of jobs. You see, that's what happens when you come in, you see a struggle or a trial or suffering. It always happens when it's unexpected. You know, I know for me, years ago, there was a moment that forever changed my life. A moment that forever changed Lori and I. You know, my son was about five months old. And as a youth pastor in Surrey, we were running an all-nighter. And uh, an all-nighter event is you go from like 7 p.m., it goes right to 7 a.m. And so we're doing this all-nighter. And, and my wife was really sick um, for about a week and a half before this moment. And so I get off of this all-nighter, I go home, and my wife is really kind of like frail. Um, and she's like, I need to go to the hospital. So I take her to the hospital, and this crazy thing happens. They, the nurse comes up and says, you actually, you're not going to go home today. You're going to stay here because you have um, an unknown illness, they said to my wife, Lori. You actually, we don't know what's wrong with you. We don't know what's the issue with you. They took her to Peace Arch and they transferred to Vancouver General and she was intubated for weeks. I remember bringing my son home the first night. You know, my, my son who's never been fed from a bottle. You know, I'm a reluctant dad in that moment. I bring my son home and I'm worried about how am I going to raise this kid? How is he going to eat? You know, is Lori ever going to come home? You see, in a moment, my life got turned upside down. A, a trial showed up out of nowhere. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting to have a wife on, on an intubation. I was not expecting my wife to be fighting for her life. See, I drove home every night from the hospital, from Vancouver General, bawling my eyes out with a little baby boy in my backseat of my car, just so angry at God, wondering if my faith could hold this moment, could actually go through this moment. You see, in that, in that time with my son and my wife being super sick, all the extra stuff in my life didn't matter. My job didn't matter. My money didn't matter. What mattered was my wife and her life. You see, in a moment that it almost was like a tornado came through and ripped apart my life in a second. See, it tore me up. And maybe some of you are sitting there in your house and you're realizing that your life no longer looks the same, that we're not going to go back to the new normal. Your business, your career, 
your prospect of a career, your marriage will never be the same because of this moment, because of this pandemic. I remember driving home in my car thinking that my life, my faith, is being held on by a single thread. Like, I didn't even know if I could still believe in Jesus in this moment because my wife was struggling. What if I lost my wife when my son was five months old? You see, we go through moments all the time in our life, and these are moments that can actually destroy us or make us. And Peter this week is talking about these moments, these moments that, that we are defined by. They either have the, the audacity to destroy you or make you. You see, I don't think the struggle is the thing that defines you. It's the thing that you're clinging to, the thing that you're hoping to, to hold on to. It's the thing that you're looking for it to save you. You see, the struggle isn't what defines you, but it's the Savior that you're looking to in that moment that defines you. It's the thing you cl- truly cling to. You see, this is the internal question we're asking all the time is how do we actually deal with suffering? How do we actually struggle when times are tough? Your suffering doesn't have to define you. But here's the thing, that your Savior, whatever that is, defines you. It defines you in the trials. It defines you in the struggle. It defines you in the suffering. You see, whatever your Savior is in this time will impact you the way that you struggle with it. You know, and a lot of times I think people can turn to alcohol or to, to sex or, you know, we can turn to things over consumption of, of goods. You see, we, I, have moments where I think that the next thing will help me get through this moment. So there's all kinds of, of very profound principles that, that really kind of distinguish Christianity from almost any other religion when they look at suffering. See, the Buddhists and other Eastern religions say, they look at suffering and say, it's just illusion. See, I think the, the Western secular culture that we live in currently says that, that suffering is an absolute curse. So that's the reason why we want to rush back to our culture, to our society, to our jobs at the risk of so many people's lives because I don't know about you, but we can't handle looking at people suffering, our friends potentially losing their homes, people losing their work, their livelihood, their cars. You see, I don't know about you, but it is hard to look at people who are suffering. It's hard to look at a friend who's frail and dying of cancer. I think in our Western secular culture, we just, we minimize the pain and the suffering and push it to the side because we want to remove it. Christianity looks at suffering not as an illusion or a curse, but something that's so extremely real, much more realistic than any Eastern religion. But on the other hand, it's way more hopeful than any other Western secularism. See, Christian, Christianity looks at suffering in a very unique way. You know, that's what First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 9 is all about. It's about looking at suffering and glory and how they're actually kind of attached together. Because you see that when you believe in Jesus, look at Christianity, it's the whole, our whole faith is based around an event, the resurrection. It's based around Jesus. That Jesus suffered and he died and he rose again in glory. I love it always when people want to follow Jesus, you know, but when they suffer, they're like, like what is wrong with my faith? What's wrong with my life? Like, how could God let me go through this? How could God let my, my spouse go through this? How could my, my, my God let my kids go through this? You see, you have to realize that Jesus isn't promising you a better life right now. 
He's promising you a Savior forever. That actually helps you get through the trials and the suffering because it gives you an end goal for your life. So you have to realize that, that Jesus, when you follow him, he suffered and died. But he rose again. He was in, in glory with his Father. So I'll never forget the moment when, when friends that I loved got phone calls that their jobs were gone like that. You know, friends that, that I have had to defer their mortgages because they don't know when their next paycheck is going to happen. You look at New York, you look at Ontario, Quebec, with people dying. You know, that could be my, my grandma, my grandpa. People that you love, my mom, my dad. Like, we're looking at suffering in a whole new way. Like, we're actually having to face trials and sufferings right now because we can't just minimize it like it's a curse. I love that our church, when all this brokenness happened, didn't just minimize the suffering, but they actually jumped in and wanted to show love because they were loved by this God who gave this extravagant, crazy love like nothing else. So we're looking today at this this passage where this guy Peter wrote this to people who are being destroyed for their faith, people who are being persecuted, people who are losing loved ones. People who they said, when Peter's referring to them, like, you're strangers in your own homeland. Like, you're actually not, you're foreigners. You don't actually feel like this is your home because you're losing your home. Their struggle was so real. See, Peter, who is he? He's a disciple of Jesus. He's an eyewitness account to Jesus' life. And this was roughly written in 64 AD. And so we believe in this book, that's, this letter that's written to these people in a modern day Turkey because Peter was an eyewitness to Christ. Let's check out this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And it says here, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Though not seen him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And the first thing I want you to think about is in Christ, our hope points past the struggle. See, in verse 6, it says here that you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. See, what is he talking about? You suffer in grief. We're talking about you rejoice in what? See, if you look, go back and look at at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, there's some amazing verses that Peter's talking about that, that this is what you rejoice in. If you're going to go through, you're going to go through grief and trials and suffering and struggle, this is what you remember. This is what you cling to. This is what you hold on to. If you remember, go back and listen to the two sermons I talked about, but he's talking about this deep doctrine that the early church, these followers of Jesus, should hold to. What he's saying here is that you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, being set apart. Like you're actually being set apart. That's what the sanctification means. Like you're actually becoming more and more and more like God for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood that he's actually marked you, that your life, your end goal isn't summed up by your 
but the way you achieve your life, it's actually how Christ achieved his life. So your life now is hidden in his. See, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into a new inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. You know, it's shielded by God's power into the coming of that salvation that is ready to be re- re- revealed at the last time. You see, what it means is that God chose you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He foreloved you before you were ever born. He set his eyes on you. Like, that's what he's trying to tell the early church. Like, early church, remember this. Remember that, that God loved you when you're going through trials. The display of that love is Jesus. See, we believe we're born again. See, how are we born again? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead. Then when we believe we're born again, Jesus' blood has purchased us. It set us free. See, in a a spiritual way, we're saying that all of our sins have been forgiven, but, but that's not all that we're saying here, is that when you've been saved, when you've been born again, you grow in grace and you grow in this word called sanctification means being set apart. It means we're becoming more and more and more and more like God. We're becoming less and less like Colby. We're becoming less and less like you. We're becoming more and more like God. All during this process, God is holding on to us. He's shielding us. He's keeping his power until the last moment of history in which God suddenly shows up and wipes all of reality clean. And the glory of God comes down into our lives and we receive the final end of it all, which is we're made perfect in his, in his eyes with him. You see, there's a hope that points past the current struggle and it's only going to be found in Jesus. Like, our lives can sure point to something, but that stuff's going to fade. The thing that's going to actually sustain you through trials, through struggles, through this system, the strain on your marriage in a pandemic when you're both at home 24-7 is only going to be Jesus. It's not going to be pursuit of money or sex or greed or whatever the heck it is. See, all that stuff, what he's trying to say here, Peter's trying to say here is that there's a hope that points past the struggle and it's Jesus. He's saying that that these struggles aren't going to last forever. They're only going to be for a short time. But here's the thing that I know that a struggle when you're in the midst of it, it feels like eternity, doesn't it? Like on Monday morning, when I open up all my kids' schoolwork and there's my son's homework and my daughter's homework and my other daughter's homework, it's like, oh my goodness, like there is, the struggle is real in that moment. Like we're all facing the same thing. We're all facing the same reality. We're all facing the same strain on our marriage and our, our relationships because we're so isolated and alone. So I want you to know that in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, our hope points past the struggle. Second point is our faith is strengthened in the struggle. In verse 7, it says here, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Peter is talking about a faith, a faith that's more valuable than gold. See, gold is a pretty valuable thing. Like people, people would die for gold. Like gold is just keep on going up and up and up and up. In this, in our in our economy, we actually have a thing called the gold standard that's attached to a currency. See, Peter is talking about a faith 
our faith. It's more valuable than gold. This is the, this widespread economic theory. <clears throat> and it's called subjective theory of value, which holds that there's no such thing as an objective value of anything. I think this is very kind of prevalent in our culture, that value is something that we deem individually or we assign. We speak of market value of something, but that it only describes the value people actually assign to it. There's no, so, no, there's no, always, there's no such thing as an objective value for water, gasoline, or gold. Right? Those things are fixed. But I don't know, here's how you've seen this, this work, this subjective theory of value is actually if you go on Facebook, as face, I've gone on Facebook Marketplace and sold things, and selling things on Facebook is the worst thing ever, okay? Can I just be honest for a second? And if you sell something and someone shows up and they go, I wanna, I'll buy it for X amount of money, and they show up with cash, and they're like, hey, I'll give you this much money. It's like, no, the price is this. We agreed upon that on that message, but that is this objective value. If I was to go and sell my car, go to a dealership and say, how much do you think this car is valued? They said, okay, it's valued $4,000. Go to the next dealership. $4,500. The next dealership's $5,000. What he's trying to say here is, is that we value things in different ways. I might value something different than the way you value something. But Peter is saying is that values are, are subjective, but God is the supreme evaluator of all things. And as Christians, we want to bring our values into conformity with the values of God. See, the problem is that there are certain things that God values highly, which we don't, right? There's, and then there's conversely, again, there's things that we value highly that God considers just junk, just rubbish. See, the, this is the economy of God. It is the economy of Jesus when he said, for what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul in Matthew 16, verse 26? See, in other words, how much is your soul worth? See, Peter here is saying is, what do you value? And what is precious to you? Because in trial, in grief, in suffering and struggle, all that stuff is going to get us burned away in a moment. A couple years ago, um, I had this, this issue with my body where um, I'd eat something, I'd get hives, and my face would swell up. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment where it went on for a year and a half. I go to like, to church, and I eat something, and I'd have hives all over my arms. And people would be like, what's wrong with you? Have you seen a dermatologist? Like, what, what is going on? And I realized in the moment when everything got stripped away in my life, even my health got stripped away, which I was probably clinging to. Like, that was a thing that got me through struggles and suffering. You see, I remember actually finally going to a doctor and they cured me with, with like essentially a couple pills. And even this past summer, I was like going through my wardrobe and I realized that every shirt I had that was long, short sleeved, I throw, threw out. I have no short sleeve shirts. Because in that moment, I let the thing that I valued the most define me. My health. I remember the way I treated my kids, the way I treated my wife. It created so much strain on my marriage, on my parenting. There's so many moments where I had to go back and apologize to my kids for being a, a terrible dad. Because I was struggling. There was grief. I needed people around me to point me back to Jesus, to remind me of his glory. 
You see, what is the thing that you consider your savior in this moment? Like, what is the thing that you're clinging to? Like, what is that? Is it the prospect of traveling one day? Is it the prospect of, of escaping your house and going back to work? Like, what is the thing that you're clinging to? See, if your faith isn't, if, if your faith isn't something that isn't Jesus, it has a potential to harm you and destroy you because I know it has hurt me. It has a potential, if your faith is in something other than God and Jesus, it has the potential to make you bitter, isolated and alone, and angry and hardened. Tim Keller has this great quote, which I think is so relevant to us in a pandemic. It says here, The same sun that hardens clay softens wax. You see, how are we to respond to this moment? It's not actually trying harder or being better or pulling up your bootstraps and, and just trying to go and achieve it. It's actually saying is the thing that you cling to, the thing that you make the ultimate thing in your life right now, you're just getting burned away. All this excess stuff. That's what Peter here is saying. So the proven character of faith, more valuable than gold, which though, though perishable is refined by fire. See, gold, when you want to refine gold, you put it in this, you know, this kiln. It burns every little impurity away. That's what, that's what Peter's saying here, is that you're in a trial, and it's burning everything away. All the things that you've, you're clinging on to. All the things that I'm clinging on to. It gets burned away in one moment. See, the, whatever you're clinging to, if it's not Jesus, it's going to make you hardened. Because those things don't have the ability to save you. The gospel softens you in trials. It softens you like the sun softening wax. It softens you the way you respond to your wife or your kids. It softens the way you treat people in your business, coworkers. It softens those relationships. Third thing I want you to think about in this passage is that in our struggle, you find joy. It says in verse 8, Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you want to find, find a joy that lasts. Look at a Savior that lasts. Like joy doesn't mean like we're walking around being like, just putting joy on her face and saying, like, everything's fine. It's great. I'm, my, my life is perfect now. That's not what it's saying. It's saying is that there's a joy for Christians because it's found in Jesus that, that oh, even though you're going through trials and struggles, that it should look like it destroys you, but actually it produces something different in you. And it's joy. It doesn't mean suppressing your feelings. It actually means feeling deeply what you feel. You know, it doesn't mean being like a machismo man. It actually means understanding that Christ suffered for you. You see, if you want to find a joy that lasts beyond an Amazon purchase or a boat purchase or a house purchase, whatever it is that you cling to, your kids going back to school or camping or going to the beach this summer, look to a Savior that lasts, a God that lasts. Look to Jesus because what's the end goal? You know, finding joy today usually means 
for us to actually look a certain way. And that's not what Peter is talking about. It's not seeming happier. I think Kelowna has an inch of veneer across of it. And under that veneer, there's just brokenness of people's lives. Because guess what? In a pandemic, I know I'm broken. I know that I need Jesus more than ever right now in this moment. You see, it's knowing that, that before you were ever born, that God knew you, his love was on you. The Holy Spirit has been showing you, revealing things to you about who God is. And the only way to find true joy is to be saved by what Jesus did on the cross. It's not trying harder or being a better person. It's that Jesus did something on the cross that sets you free. See, think about all the things that we thought were essential before this moment. All the things that we thought that I took for granted, like going to a conference in Los Angeles or going to Disneyland with my kids or hanging with my friends at the beach. All these things that maybe I thought were essential maybe weren't so essential going to the Gap, going to Old Navy, going to the mall. All these things that just get stripped away. And what are you left with? The thing that defines you the most. See, this summer, this past summer, I moved to Kelowna and uh, we moved here to plant church. And we, we bought a house and we moved here in July. And we showed up. No one was here yet. I have an aunt and uncle in Kelowna, some other family members. But we knew no one. And usually when you're struggling and you're suffering, that's when the stillness kind of creeps up and you, like, you speak things over your life. Right? Like the things kind of in your life just kind of get turmoiled and uprooted. I remember in July and August when my friend David and Levi and people weren't here yet. And all I heard was these voices. It, wasn't, it didn't mean I was crazy, but it meant like people like, I heard just being alone, struggling, being isolated. These thoughts came to my mind, like, can we plant church? Will we ever do this? Will people actually want to listen to me? See, all these things kind of crept up. It crept up in these moments. You see, Peter's saying is, what is the end goal of your life? It needs to be Jesus. For me, it can't just be planting a church. It has to be seeing more of Jesus. You know, there's, a, there's an order about our lives. And so often, I think, in a pandemic, it looks like things are so chaotic. Chaos and struggles and suffering looks very chaotic. But in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the trials of our life. And he, call, he calls them a gymnasium, you know, a discipline. Like, there's an order to it. There's a regimen to it. There's a, a plan. It's just not our plan. I think our culture is addicted. I'm addicted to certainty. We live in a time which is uncertain. I don't know what's happening week to week, yet day to day sometimes. See, I think that's the reason why we're, we're flailing around like we don't even know what we're doing. You see, you will never understand or become the person you're called to be without suffering. Because suffering shows your faults and it shows your flaws like nothing else. See, so he says, when you find yourself stuck and there's no way out and you're hurting, God is not actually bringing you to conflict with whatever it is. He's bringing you to conflict with yourself. Your lack of patience, your lack of foresight, your addictions, your foolishness, your ego. See, there's no greater gift in this moment in a pandemic than self-discovery, that God actually is, is speaking to us about who we're becoming. 
But here's the thing. There's no more painful gift you can give to someone than self-discovery. See, when I sit with my counselor at third space and talk about my life, like I love doing that, but there's moments where he asks a question and I have to self-discover things, and it's painful. You see, what is God trying to teach in this moment? What are the things you cling to? What do you hold on to? What he's trying to say is, here's some self-discovery in a moment. It's how do you handle the struggle and the suffering? Because once you understand how you handle that, you understand how you cling to things. I think when you go through struggles in the next few months, because I don't know when we're actually going to be able to meet face-to-face and hang out, I want us to know three things. One is, in Christ there is hope past the struggle. Our faith can be strengthened in the struggle. In our struggle, you can find a deep joy in Jesus. See, Live Free Church, I'd love for us to be free people. Free people whose identity is found not on these little things that we cling to, but on Jesus, our true Savior. I am constantly reminded all the time the things I cling to because I hide behind them. These are the things I hide behind all the time. You see, that's not how you find hope. You only find hope in Jesus. A true Savior can define you because in the, in the struggle and the suffering, all that stuff just gets burned away. I don't know what you're facing right now. But as a church, we want to be beside you. We want you to be in community groups with other people because we think that we need people to remind us and point us back to Jesus all the time. Because I think that in this moment, in a, in a pandemic, that we need to be people defined by Jesus. Not by these little things that define us, these little tiny idols we make, the ultimate things in our lives. But I want you to know today, that God knows you, that he loves you, and that he's pursuing you, and his love is relentless. I want you to know this, that God knows you, he's pursuing you, and his love is so relentless. It's chasing you. Let's pray. God, thank you for trials and suffering and struggle Think of my own life, how you brought me through seasons of life where, where I've had to ask for forgiveness and I've had to actually confess to people my own brokenness. Father, I pray in this moment that we would not be defined by the things that we hold onto, hold dear, but that we'd actually be defined by you. So whatever is in our life, Lord, that we're making the ultimate thing, just burn it away. The thing that we cling to. Holy Spirit, I pray you just reveal to people Are they drinking too much? Are they online too much? What are we medicating our lives with? Father, we would pray that we wouldn't find satisfaction in those things, but only in you. I pray people who are watching today would find authentic community found in a church. And people who are gathered in homes when we're allowed to. Father, I pray that we'd actually be people who are marked I would be people, person who's marked by the things that I make the ultimate thing in my life. Like my spending, my materialism, but Lord, by you. I allow you to speak into my life that I'm your beloved son. You're speaking to people in our church that they're your beloved sons and daughters. And that's what you say, speak over them when their lives are found in you. 
But I pray, God, that they'd know that and live that out today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.